What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Unconventional Education Show, where we talk entrepreneurship, we talk mindset, and we talk life experiences to help you level up and become the best version of yourself. Happy Monday. Hope everyone's off to a great start this week. Uh, this was a, a wild week doing the, the Hustle Prevails drop. And market-wise, too, I, I've been talking a lot about cryptocurrencies and, and Bitcoin and everything that I'm involved with there. <laughs> Last night was insane. We were out to dinner. We just had that huge dip in the market, which is completely normal during these bull run cycles. But I, I've been talking a little bit how I've been doing some leverage trading. You guys might have seen me posting about it on my Instagram stories. And uh, first of all, I'm not a financial advisor. Don't take advice from me. Yada yada yada, all that stuff. But I, I I'm an advocate for cryptocurrencies. I really believe in specifically Bitcoin long term, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to make money with a lot of the altcoins and stuff like that. So I have the majority of my portfolio is just Bitcoin and some Ethereum that I just hold. I buy it when the market dips, and I just hold it long term. It's like a 10, 15 year type play for me. And recently I started doing that leverage trading with this dude, Jeff Seconder. He's got a group and he runs an eight-figure crypto fund. So I've just been mirroring his trades. And I, since doing that in six weeks, tripled my account in the leverage trading. And, and you get cocky, right? And then in the market's unpredictable. Like there's a risk you run when you do that. That's why when people ask me about cryptocurrencies, when I post it, they're like, how do I get involved? I'm like, first you need just exposure to Bitcoin, like that's step number one, buy Bitcoin and hold it, like 90% plus of all my money in cryptocurrency is just in, in Bitcoin, but that's step one, it's like you don't just jump into the risky stuff, and I, you know, I recently got my mom to give me some money, because I'm like, mom, you're missing out, you're watching all this money I made this year, like you gotta get in, and she gave it to me, and I've been showing her like the leverage play, she's like, I want my money in there, well last night, uh, it, within the matter of hours, I watched five figures just disappear. And I like to be transparent with you guys. That's why I like I, I show the wins, but I'm, I'm going to talk about the losses too, for sure. And it, it was like 1130 at night on Saturday. We had just gotten back from dinner and it was just an absolute <laughs> bloodbath. I was watching my computer screen. I couldn't believe my eyes. And with my leverage trading account, I put in an amount that I was pretty much considered it gone when I put it in there because I knew the risk associated. I knew it's a crazy amount of risk. So I, you know, I, I tripled the amount I put in there in the course of six weeks, which is insane. But over the course of literally an hour, I watched five figures disappear and I was forced to sell off some positions to kind of, uh, just do damage control is really what it was. And fortunately where the, the, this kind of free fall bottomed out, I was able to keep most of them and I've actually recouped, um, probably almost three quarters of what I lost yesterday, which is insane to think about. But, and, and I'm, I'm in profit from what I originally invested, but it was just crazy. And it's just crazy to see this volatility and, and these games we're playing and the mindset that really you need to have to trade because, you know, the, the guy I follow, Jeff, he, in that free fall, he said in his leveraged accounts, he, <laughs> he was down about a million dollars which I think a lot of people couldn't even stomach that. But again, it's all relative. Like I put in an amount that I was like, all right, this goes to zero, goes to zero, whatever. 
And, and same with Jeff, because most of our money's in long-term holdings, and that, that's not really affected. The problem with this leverage trading is that if it goes too low, since you're borrowing money from the platform, you can get liquidated. Like, they sell off your position in order to make sure you're good for those losses. So that's what we ran into, is our liquidation prices spiked because everything went down at once, and then we had to do damage control. But anyway, it, it was just crazy because it's just the mentality that goes into it. And, I mean, today's episode, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys, like, my goal is to shift shift your perspective to what money's all about and, and give you some perspective as to what it actually like is and what it means. And you know, for me, like I, I keep talking about, I've really worked on my money mindset this past year and having this dip of like literally five figures evaporate before my very eyes, I, I still was pretty level. And it could have been the tequila sodas from dinner. <laughs> but and, and you know, it was also just knowing that I didn't overextend myself with the money that was in here. I was like, if it's gone, it's gone. It's not going to affect me really financially. This was all something, a risk that I knew was willing to take. But overall, just the mindset required to play a game, like investing, play in markets is nuts. And that's something I might talk about in a future episode. But it's honestly, like when other people are fearful, that's when you get greedy. When other people are greedy, that's when you got to get fearful. And, and that's what happened. Like the whole market was pumping. Like everyone, you, you see green, you think it's never going to end and, and stuff like that happens. But it's like you take that time and it's like, all right, we bought more. We're bouncing our position back. We're doing what we got to do to, you know, get it back and changing the strategy moving forward. And I always talk about how I think the, only, the best way to learn in life in anything is through experience. And trust me, when you watch, you know, five figures disappear, evaporate like fairy dust into thin air, like it was never there in the first place you learn and those lessons actually stick with you because you feel what what just happened. It's like life. It's like you can tell a kid that, you know, candy's bad for them and they shouldn't be eating so much sugar, blah, blah, blah. It's not until they actually get a cavity and have to go to the, the doctor or the dentist and get a root canal or get a cavity and, and the pain and all that associated with it so they actually learn their lesson. And it's like that with everything in life. Unfortunately, I feel like as human beings, we can give people information, we can tell them everything they need to do, but until you have skin in the game, until you've experienced it, until you've emotionally felt it, you're not actually going to learn anything. So for me, I look at what happened as a complete learning experience. I think a lot of people that, that would drive them out and be like, I'm done, I'm not risking this anymore, this is way too crazy. But I'm like, all right, I learned and now I'm going to change my strategy moving forward. I'm not going to be as greedy. When I have four, three X in the account, I'm going to take money out of that account Instead of letting it all be up for risk, I'm going to take that, put it into, you know, safer places and you, you just learn lessons. So I, I'm probably going to do a podcast on the mentality that goes into trading at some point because it's, it's an insane game, but it's really about just acting based off logic instead of emotion and knowing what you're signing up for. When you go into things, you know the risk and, and you don't, I think another big problem is people gamble with money they don't have to lose and that can get you in a very terrible situation as... I think it probably happened for a lot of people last night. I think the number was almost $8 billion of Bitcoin long positions got liquidated during that free fall. <laughs> Just wild. But anyway, I guess that leads up into our episode. Like I said, I want to talk about money today because I think the whole unconventional education topic and idea that I approach, I don't think money's really taught about enough slash at all in our school system and I just read this really good book it's called the Bitcoin Standard 
And yes, it's about Bitcoin, but the first more than half of the book is really was just about money. Like what money is, how it works, the history of money, and how it's gotten to where we are today. And it was just really eye-opening. And I've always said this, first and foremost, before I even really get into this episode, I tell everybody money is nothing other than what we believe it to be. And that's the case for many, many, many areas of life, pretty much everything, but money especially. Look down, and if you're even carrying any paper in your wallet right now, you look at that bill, it's a $20 bill, $50 bill, $100 bill. There's no value to that money other than the fact that we as a society collectively believe it's worth $100, and so you can use it in exchange for $100 worth of value. But other than that, it's just paper and ink, people. That's it. And... We put so much, like we have so many limiting beliefs around money. We have so many mental roadblocks. We have so many negative beliefs around money. It's insane. And really, it's just the paper and the ink. That's that's all it is. And and there's mindsets to acquire and ways to think to reframe what money is to attract more of it into your life. And I've talked about that in other episodes, just law of attraction, really like reframing what you believe money to be. But what I want to do is just kind of explain how money actually works. And another another interesting thing I read, if you guys have ever read the book Sapiens, as a human race, animals and different species operate in small tribes. And there's a mark, a number of 150 that humans were able to exceed. That's the barrier of what uh, an amount of species can function together as. And we were able to exceed that barrier because of our our ability to believe in something larger than ourselves as humans and religion is one of those things that's allowed us to grow into a planet of seven maybe almost eight billion people now somewhat peacefully coexisting here there's a lot of craziness going on in the world but for us to coexist together like that for us to be able to walk down the streets around strangers and exist it's because we have common beliefs that are larger than ourselves and religion is the biggest one but money is another one. It's it's a uniting belief that brings people together because we all believe in it as on a common ground is that money is something larger than ourselves. We all believe in and it just unites us. Definitely recommend checking out that book. But I'm going to get into kind of a little history lesson about money. So how it all really begins looking back historically is the simplest way to exchange value is to exchange valuable goods and services with one or another. And, and that's just barter. So say there's a fisherman in a village and there's someone who grows rice. And in that village, you want rice and that person wants fish. You trade two fish for a sack of rice or whatever the trade is. That's a barter. You're doing something of value, producing something of value and trading that product of the value. But the problem with barter is it only works between small groups of people. It needs to be a small village, small community, small organization for it to work because if it gets too large, it's just too complex. and doesn't make sense. And w- But one benefit is when the group of people grows, there's more speci- speci- specialization in the production of goods. It becomes possible for people to focus on things that are more specific. Like say there's a fishing guy, but now someone can uh, focus on creating fishing poles or even hooks or lures and just very specific industries. And you look at today, uh, you know, sometimes I I talk to people and ask what their job is and I'm, it's so specific and so niche. And we always 
preach going niche because we're able to do that in a society with so many players and so many contributors and obviously with a, a medium of exchange like money to make it all work. But regardless, with barter and, and how all of this began is it only worked between small groups of people and another problem with barter is people aren't always going to want what you have. And then also trading your good for someone else's might not always make sense. So say you're an apple farmer and you want to buy a house. All you have of value is apples and you go to someone who has a house to sell. What are you going to do? Trade them 14 tons of apples for the house? First of all, they don't need that many apples. They don't want that many apples and the apples aren't even storable. They're going to go bad. They're going to rot. And then what do they have to show for that house? So... This is where a medium of exchange comes in. This is where it needs to go a step beyond barter. And a medium of exchange, essentially money, needs to constitute a few different things. It should be a good purchased not to be consumed. It's not to be employed in the production of other goods like being an investment or capital good. Money is not an investment. Money is not a capital good. And it's primarily to be used for the sake of of being exchanged for other goods. It's a medium of exchange. It's something to be used to have a store value or to get into all that and exchange it for some other type of good. Money's not an investment because good forms of money should keep their value relatively stable over time. You can use money to acquire investments, but money itself isn't to be considered an investment. So going from there, what it should constitute, what really composes good money? And the first function is salability. And salability is the ease of which a good can be sold on the market whenever its holder desires with the least loss in price. And salability is composed of a few different factors. The three of them are salability across scales, across space, and across time. So again, just basic definition, salability is just being able to use your money easily without losing value and at any time that you want. If at a moment you want to go to the store and buy a soda pop, you're able to use your money, take out your card, do whatever, and be able to buy it with no problems and know that that soda pop's value is relatively stable to what your dollar is worth. So these three things that constitute salability, um, again, salability across scales, across space, and across time. So across space basically allows money to be divided into smaller units or into larger groups so that you can use it for anything variety of purchase so basically like we have usd primarily the listeners of the show are in the united states but you guys all get the point we have pennies and we have nickels we have dimes we have quarters we have dollars five ten twenty fifty hundred and this allows us to make very small purchases and it allows us to stack it all up to make very large purchases so that's one very important thing it needs to be saleable across scales salability across space means that there needs to be ease when it's transported. So good monetary media has a high value per unit of weight. And what that means is that, say, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about some historic forms of money, but even think about this, when gold is being used as money, it's heavy, it's hard to transport after a certain extent. There is compact value within the gold, but it's a lot easier to transport paper, a $100 bill than, let's say, $100 worth of, Let's go, let's go to even cheaper metal, something like copper. If you were to use copper as, as your medium of exchange, it's going to be much harder to transport $100 worth than it is going to have a $100 note in your pocket. 
So being able to salability across space is extremely important because especially when money was first starting and trade started beginning, you had to be able to transport it. Salability across time is another extremely important factor, and that refers to its ability to hold value in the future, which is the second major function. Money needs to be a store of value. So across time, is you have $100 now, right today, you're expecting that in 10 years from now, that $100 is still worth $100. And you guys know already, if you're familiar with money, it's not going to be worth that for especially our currency. I'm going to talk more about that as well. But good money, this is what we're talking to, the ideal best form of money should be worth $100 today, tomorrow, a year from now, 10 years from now, etc. So first function, salability in those three components. Second function is that money needs to be a store of value. So that obviously refers to being immune to rot, corrosion, deterioration. Money should hold up physically over time. So that's why you can't store your wealth. We were talking about the apples before. You can't store your wealth in apples or fish or something that is going to decompose and rot and it, you can't hold on to. So if that happens, what's, it's not a store of value. There's no reliability there. So for money, and, and this is a really important part, and this is going to really play into everything I'm going to talk about here. For money to maintain its value, it's necessary that the supply of the good does not increase too drastically during the period of which it is held by the owner. Okay, I wonder if you guys are connecting dots here, because look at our money supply. Look at what just happened. $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Our supply increases at the drop of a dime, at the flick of a money printer, Bada bing, bada boom, paper pallets of Benjamin Franklin's are just printed. But so for money to maintain its value, the supply cannot increase too drastically during the period of which it's held by the owner. So money that supply is hard to increase, we refer to as hard money. Money that supply is easy to increase is referred to easy money. Obviously, hard money is more valuable for all of the definitions and purposes and intensive use of money. So money's hardness really is broken down to two important quantities, the stock of money and then the flow of money, right? And the flow of money is basically the extra production that will be made, the extra amount of money that can be added to the stock. So this leads into stock to flow ratios. And I, I'm spitting you got a lot of a lot of facts here. I hope you guys are, are following. You might need to run this one back. But a stock to flow ratio, if you have a low stock to flow ratio, that's one where the goods of the supply can be increased drastically if people start using it as a store of value. And a highest stock to flow ratio is one where the goods supply cannot be increased drastically if people start using it as a store of value. So essentially, the higher the stock to flow ratio, the more likely the good is to maintain the value over time and be more salable over time. So think about this. Gold has been historically one of the best forms of money that we've used and a big reason is because it has a high stock to flow ratio so we have the supply of gold it's difficult to mine more gold and it's very expensive so most of the world's gold has been mined there's still some there i'm sure there's there's probably some reserves places i mean we have scoured this planet for gold because that is what's been considered the most valuable thing over history so far and now, just the cost associated, how difficult it is to find, the gold supply is increasing, but very, very in, in small proportions based on the stock, the world supply of gold that already exists. 
So when that happens, gold maintains its value more than something like the U.S. dollar, which trillions of dollars are printed whenever shit hits the fan, whenever there's a recession, whenever there's things to temporarily fix the problem. Which So fiat money, well, I'll talk about fiat money, what that means, has a very low stock-to-flow ratio. So in order for money to be good, you need to have a high stock-to-flow to ratio. You need to have the stock, and it needs to be very difficult slash impossible to increase the supply is the ideal circumstance. Now, there's something called the easy money trap. Now, that refers to anything used as a store of value will have its supply increase. It's inevitable. And anything whose supply can be increased destroys the wealth of those who use it as a store of value. So back in the day, we're going to talk about some historic different forms of money in a minute here. But say it was seashells, right? And you're, you're stocking up all these seashells. You just got a house full of them. You're living high. You're rolling high, living the seashell high life. And then one day, something like boats get invented and you know, it's easy to navigate the ocean now. Now you can access different parts of the ocean, different beaches. You're able to scour the sea floor. You're able to get seashells much more easily. And at that time, that's the form of currency. There's a lot of value behind them. But now you can get all these seashells extracted from the ocean. So you're increasing the supply drastically. So the person who is banking on holding seashells as a store of, of value and a store of wealth gets screwed because all these seashells flood in and now they lose their value tremendously. That's the easy money trap, right? And look at the US dollar. <laughs> look at the US dollar right now. It's You literally need paper and ink and the government can print more, right? Wrap your head around some of this stuff, guys. It's insane. Um, another important use of money is its acceptability by others. Obviously, the more people who accept it, the more value there is in using it. Any type of networks like that. You look at something like Facebook, there's not as much value in Facebook when five people are using it, but when half the world's population is on Facebook, there's extreme value in that platform. It's any type of network. It grows in value as the network itself grows. So, of course, acceptability by others, the more people who accept the money, the more valuable the money becomes just by the fact that more people are playing in that marketplace. So the third function of money, okay, so we have salability, we have um, being a store of value, and the third function is a unit of account. So kind of backtracking, I guess, in an economy that didn't have any recognized medium of exchange, each good will have to be priced in terms of the other good. So think about this, you want to get a bottle of lotion and you are, let's go back to the fisherman, you, you have to price the bottle of lotion in terms of fish, but someone else is a vegetable farmer and they have broccoli, so you have to price the bottle of lotion in terms of broccoli and someone else makes swords, so you have to price swords for the lotion. In, in, in so many ways, this doesn't make sense. It's very confusing. There'll be too many prices. It makes economic calculations difficult. And there's just overall confusion. And, and plus, like we were talking about before, someone might not want a sword for the bottle of lotion. Someone, you know, they just don't need that type of product. So what happens is when there's one universally accepted medium of exchange, all goods can be priced based on that medium of exchange. So basically, you can walk into a store and no matter what product you want, it's priced in U.S. dollars or whatever your currency is of your country that you're living in. 
you can go in and expect that. You don't have to know all these different calculations and be uh, Isaac Newton with the math equations to figure out how you're going to get a tube of chapstick. So the unit of account is an extremely important measure as well, simple one. And, and that's one of the more simple ones to achieve, but it's a very essential function. So I said before, I'm going to talk a little about about some primitive money. So I gave you that seashell example. So another really, uh, another big example that I found really interesting, and a lot of this is in the the Bitcoin standard book I was talking about before. So I learned a lot of this information in there. And I mean, I was an economics minor in college, so I, I learned what I did from when I went to class, <laughs> when I did show up in class. But this one was cool. So Africa at one point, glass beads were their medium of exchange. That's where the value was. And in Africa, they were more difficult to produce, but you would change glass beads for whatever you wanted. Say it would be a, ho a horse or a cow or you know food, whatever it is. So this is what happens when something like that happens, though. And, and the Europeans realized that the Africans placed all of these value on these glass beads and they made them by the masses for dirt cheap in Europe, came over to Africa, used those beads to take the valuable resources from Africa, flooded them with these glass beads that they made for next to nothing. And now in Africa, the beads are worthless and they basically took all of the valuable resources. So that's an example, as I was talking about before, the low stock to flow ratio. Because yes, Africa, when it was confined to itself, may have had a certain stock of these beads, but once the Europeans figured out that they could make the beads cheap and take all the resources, they added to the supply at a rate that was much higher than can be sustained to keep the value in those beads, effectively ruining that entire form of uh, entire medium of exchange and stealing all of the valuable resources in the process. So this applies to many different scenarios. Like, you look in the bigger picture. Um, another one, the seashells, I said. Well, that's another problem. And, and, and history repeats this. Once technology makes... So seashells and glass beads and spices and salt was used as a form of currency. Once technology makes it so now we can mine up some metals, then now gold has the value and technology can make an old type of currency obsolete. And another thing to think about. And like I said, I'm not I'm not doing this episode to steer you towards Bitcoin or any different form of money. I'm just doing it to present these ideas to you and you can do with them what you will. But again, that that's kind of what's happening right now. I believe in what's going to happen over the next 10-15 years is technolo technological revolution and or an innovation and and then Bitcoin comes along. And there's a lot of properties about Bitcoin that perfectly fit a lot of these functions of money. There's a lot of things that need to be worked out still for sure, but fit it in a way that could very well make fiat government money obsolete. Another historical form of money, and I think this one's cool as well, is they're called the rye stones, and they were on the Yap Island. And if you've ever seen one of these stones, they're the big circle stones. They got a hole cut in the middle. And to get them, and this was a time where it was very difficult. They were very difficult to transfer, difficult to mine. They were coming from a different island, difficult to bring on their, their low-technology boats to get back. So these stones were mined on these other islands. They're all carved up, get the, the hole in the middle, and they would come back to the Yap Island. 
and that was used as their currency, these gigantic stones, and they would be placed in the middle of town, and when when transactions took place between people who owned the stones, they would divide the, take whatever portion of that stone and assign ownership to whoever, you know, received the stone in exchange for whatever it was they sold. And so this was, I think, in the book he argues that this was probably one of the closest things to Bitcoin, and I mean, there was problems that came along with that, but every, it was a smaller community, everyone believed in it, there was only so many of these stones so it made it possible for these stones to keep their value, for people to place value in them. And it, it was really interesting how it worked. But then someone came to the island, discovered how much value they placed on the stones, went and mined a bunch of them, brought them back, and it caused a whole uproar and an eventual collapse of the rye stone because this happened. But for the technology at the time, right, like when when that was present, it made it much, it made it reasonable and made it make sense to use these rye stones as stores of value so really interesting stuff but again perspective wise at one point in human history we were trading glass beads seashells salt and gigantic limestones with holes cut in them as money and we're at our specific time in history right now we look at our cash we take it for what it is we're just like yep this is worth that and we don't really think about what money's supposed to be or what's going to maintain a currency in the long run and it's easy to overlook red flags or it's easy to just be oblivious to all of it because we don't really have education on that subject. So keep all this stuff in mind as I go through. So after all this technology advances, we're able to mine gold and gold becomes the main store of value, the main medium of exchange. And some of the benefits of gold, very difficult to produce as I was talking about before. It's hard to mine and then it's a limited supply. So even we have most of the world's gold mined and we're adding to that supply, but at such a small rate that it doesn't really affect the value of the rest of the people holding gold who already have that supply. And another great part about gold, chemical stability. It's impossible to synthesize. It is going nowhere. We were talking about before, it needs to be durable, right? Money needs to be something that can be a, a reliable store of value. And gold doesn't, over time, like we have gold that has been here for what thousands and thousands and thousands of years that hasn't been altered chemically because of its stability. So a lot of good things about gold. Um, the problem is, so we, ha we, we have the gold and then the government starts to take control of our money supply. And we know what the government does once they get their hands on shit, they start tampering with it. So I'm not going to get too into this. I, I suggest you guys read this book and, and do some history or research on the history of money because it's really interesting. But one example of what happened when government got control of the gold is with the Romans, and they started diluting the gold, and they're using other metals as coins as well, and they start, they started basically diluting the contents of a coin with coin clipping, and what they would do is say, what, what happened at first is that a certain amount of gold and weight is had a certain amount of value assigned, and then governments took it and made minted coins, which were easier so you didn't have to weigh all the coins and it just made transactions easier. But now they weigh the coin and it's worth a certain amount, but then they want to increase the money supply or they need to pay for something or they need to finance something. So they take the coins, they would actually do this, take all the coins back, say it was a eight ounce coin, clip it to six ounces and give it back to all of their citizens and say it's worth the same and they can do the same things with it. But what happens is inflation will kick in. And this just created predictable cycles of anger to price controls, to more coin debasement, and then price rises. 
And all of this tampering with that, they take it from six ounces to four ounces, yada, yada, until eventually the money supply would collapse. And because this all leads to inflation and all the problems that go along with it. And then, the you know, the emperors in these times would attempt to hide the inflation by putting price controls on the basic goods. The markets forced, um, the, as the market forces attempted to adjust prices upwards in response to the basement of the currency, then price ceilings would prevent the price adjustments. And then that resulted in making it unprofitable for producers to even engage in production. So all of these problems. So basically what coin clipping would do would reduce the coin's value. It would increase the money supply. It allowed the emperors to just spend outrageously and continue doing so. Eventually, it would result in inflation and huge economic crises. And then that would attempt to be resolved with more coin clipping. And you guys see how this aligns with exactly what's happening with our money supply right now. The history does repeat itself. And that's, what's, that's what happened and where major crashes occurred is when governments started taking control of the money and started tampering with the supply because, again, that, that important factor of stock-to-flow ratio. Everyone who's holding the supply, once you devalue the currency, create more of it, add more of it to the supply, then everyone is losing their purchasing power and these cycles occur. So that's what was happening. There's many examples, and you guys can look into it. I suggest you do a little bit of research into it. But what happened is we switched to paper notes. So banks basically took control of all the gold and gave us paper notes and said, hey, look, this is worth $100 worth of gold. You can redeem it at any time for gold, but it makes it easier. We're talking about money needs to be salable, and this makes it easily transportable, makes it easily divisible. It makes things just easier. So they switched these paper notes to be actually redeemable for, for gold, and this worked for a while, but we got to the point where the gold standard was dropped entirely. So governments just said, gradually you see some memes of what it says on uh, dollar bills going from backed by an equal amount of value in, in gold or whatever equal to its weight in gold something like that to backed by the faith of the u.s government and it's just now our paper is literally backed by nothing other than what we believe it to be and what the government says so now what's happening is governments are basically able to spend as much money as they want because they can print it at their own free will like there's no gold and this allowed them during wars, like wars used to have to end when the money ran out because countries would only have so much gold and so much resources to finance it that once it got to a certain point, they could just be like, ah, like it's over. We take the L. But then in World War One and World War Two, when we're able to just print money, these wars are able to get so much more vicious, so much more uh, catastrophic because... We're able to just print money and keep it going and keep it going. We're in this illusion that it's uh, this delusion that it's stimulating the economy when in reality, we're just screwing it, delaying the, all, like all of the prices we're going to have to pay for it like after this has happened. So it's really insane. So in my opinion, based off everything I just kind of told you guys, which are all facts and you, you can look it up, I think the value of all fiat currencies are going to absolutely tank and people who are just saving money are going to get screwed because you think you have a hundred dollars today it's going to be worth a hundred dollars in 10 years but in reality you're losing at least two percent a year due to inflation if you're just holding cash you have that shoebox under your bed mentality or you're sitting in a savings account or checkings account 
that's what's happening. It's 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 just losing its value. And as our government continues to just increase the money supply, keep printing money, printing money, printing money, this is all going to catch up with us. There's going to be the effects of inflation are going to kick in and people aren't going to want to hold on money anymore. Once that belief switches to, hey, this is actually worthless, like we need to get this, which is kind of what's happening right now with gold and with Bitcoin and with real estate. People are losing faith in currencies as I kind of believe that they should because there really is nothing to our money other than what we believe it to be. It is paper and it is ink and our government says it's worth something and they abuse their privilege of controlling it. And this is what it leads to is a crazy inflation right now. Like that stock market recovery we had once it crashed during COVID and we had that V-shaped recovery. That's not natural. That wasn't a natural recovery. That was the government printing money today to fix our problems today at the expense of the future. That's literally what was happening. So for me, I barely hold any cash. I, I, I'll, I'll give you guys what my suggestions are. Again, more than anything else, I just want to make you think and think about what money is and maybe you find an avenue of what you think is the best course of action of what you want to do with your wealth and your money. But where I kind of want to leave this is I just want to shift your perspective what money actually is. I mean, I think oftentimes we can accept something at face value and it can really hurt us in the long run. We're born and we're told money, our paper money is worth something. We trust it. We're not really educated on money. And what happens is these cycles happen. Money right now is it's a bubble. It's going to burst. And then you're left screwed, especially if you're a saver of just cash. You're going to have all this money. If you guys ever seen, there's some countries, I believe Venezuela is one of them. You need a wheelbarrow full of their currency to go get a loaf of bread. That's what happens when hyperinflation occurs. Like it's scary stuff. All of that money was probably worth a ton when their economy was right. But then due to Everything that goes into inflation, now a wheelbarrow full can only get you a loaf of bread. And that's the reality of it. So my opinion, saving cash, leaving it in a bank account is going to destroy you in the long run. And I think history has shown time and time again that money with the exact properties our fiat currency has will get destroyed. Like it, it's not good, hard money to be trusted. And so what I think, this is my suggestion, do with it what you will. Again, I just wanted to kind of shift your perspective and, and lay all of these things out there on the table for you, but you need to be acquiring assets with real value. What's cool, again, not pushing you towards Bitcoin, but I love it because there's a limited supply. 21 million Bitcoin can ever only ever be produced. It is completely decentralized, meaning that there's no government or any entity who can control Bitcoin. Um, the divisibility, like every factor I talked about, the one problem we're facing right now is the volatility because it's so early stage, which obviously a good money needs to be a stable store of value. And, you know, there's some problems that need to be worked out in the long run, but it's been the highest performing asset of the past decade. And I think it's a good hedge against inflation. And I think overall, Bitcoin is a solid store of value. It's, it's kind of like a digital gold where you, you should have some exposure to, uh, especially if shit hits the fan. I think real estate's another good one hard asset going to produce you income um you actually have something tangible there right gold is another solid one i i believe in gold i buy gold i think that it worked for thousands and thousands and thousands of years as a medium of exchange and governments even though we're not on the gold standard still hold massive reserves of gold 
So there's something to be said about that as well. So I think gold's a good one. And I think starting businesses. A business is an asset. A business is income producing. You take that money from the businesses and you can go put it back into more businesses and you know, more gold, real estate, Bitcoin, whatever it is that you desire to put your money into. But businesses are a hedge against this. Just saving cash isn't going to work. And I think it's really going to hurt you. I, my grandfather stopped by the other day and we were talking about it. And he's, him and I are very, very different <laughs> how we, we lead our lives. He was very traditional by the book. He had a career as a tech teacher in a high school, but he's a very frugal and shrewd, smart man and invested properly in stocks. He played it by the book of what worked for his time and crushed it. Stocks, real estate, all the investments like that from his, you know, 48, his typical job that he worked. And it worked for him and he's accumulated a lot of wealth. And we were just talking about how we think the dollar is screwed and you need to be acquiring assets. You need to be holding things that are actually worth something because what happens if shit hits the fan? I keep enough cash for emergency purposes and if I need an emergency expense or whatever, but for the most part, all of my money is assets. That's my net worth is assets. And I think you guys, if you really are sitting on cash alone, should really consider getting some assets like now <laughs> because man we're gonna see we're witnessing a large transfer of wealth happen i can't even tell you the amount of friends i know low-key who are just making so much money just from saving and buying bitcoin and cryptocurrencies there's a transfer of wealth happening the money printing can't last forever the control can't last forever with all the everything going on there's going to be a revolution of sorts and things are going to change drastically. And so, as I said, I hope that today just kind of shifted your perspective as to what your plan is moving forward with money, with what you're going to do with it, with how you're going to invest it, and how you view it. Because all of this stuff together, me breaking it down, really money, money, like many other things, is a figment of our imagination. And a little bit off the topic of what this specific episode was about, but we have mindsets that we can only make a certain amount of money. We have mindsets that money's bad. It's like money is literally just whatever you believe it to be. Money is, in my opinion, a measure of the value that you've brought to the world. Money is something that is an abundant resource. It's everywhere. You can accumulate money. You can attract money. You just have to think about money differently. That's why every single day I write down why on my screensaver of my computer, it says money flows to me effortlessly, rapidly, and in abundance. And I truly feel and embody that statement because that's been a shift for me. I used to think like you have to wait all this time to start earning real money and I've done well, but I, I've watched people have results quicker and it just makes me think. I'm like, if they can do it, so can I. I can bring in money much faster, much more rapidly and a lot more abundance. It's just how I'm thinking about it and the energy I'm putting out there. So money, guys, is... Fairy dust, it's a com literally a complete figment of our imagination. It's whatever you believe it to be, and it's up to you to change your mindset, treat it properly, treat it with the love and care that it deserves, invest it, and take care of the money, and it'll take care of you. But deep into this episode, it's probably the longest solo episode I've ever done. A lot of information in there. You guys should definitely run this back because I, I dropped a lot of facts in there, and it's just good stuff to know. But I appreciate 
you listening this long, if you have a friend, a family member, somebody you want to just shift their perspective about what money really is, all I ask is send them this podcast. Share it with them. Post it on your story. Let people know this stuff so that they can get ahead, start winning the game, and make some strides forward. Because that's what this podcast is all about. You get a moment, please leave us a written review. Hit the subscribe button. Again, appreciate all of you guys. Love you all. Love all the support. And I'm going to keep coming with the heat to help you level up, become the best version of yourself, and just overall crushing in life. So thank you guys. I hope everyone has an amazing Monday, and we will catch you soon. Later, everybody.